you will, take your Bibles out to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. And so we're going to bring to a conclusion the series that we've done now for five weeks called Core Values, just trying to kind of reset ourselves and remind ourselves of, you know, after this uh, uh, unusual last 12 to 16 months that we've been through as a country, that we've been through as a church, just trying to recalibrate ourselves uh, uh, back to the task of what it means to be the church, and in particular, what we feel like it means to be the church at Eureka Baptist. And so um, when we finish today, we'll start uh, first Sunday in June, next Sunday, uh, in the Psalms. And so we're going to preach June, July, and August. out of the book of Psalms, and so I hope that you will join us as many Sundays during the summer months as you possibly can to, to go through some wonderful uh, chapters uh, of the book of Psalm. And some of you have already sent me via text or you've told me in person, hey, my favorite Psalm is this Psalm. And so if you've done that, um, your Psalm is coming. Psalm 46 will be the first Psalm on the docket uh, beginning next Sunday. Uh, Psalm 115, Psalm 121 has also made that list. And so um, if you have a favorite psalm, then uh, please uh, send me a text or see me as you leave and say, hey, my favorite psalm is this. Psalm 1 and 23 will be the only ones that I refuse to preach because looking back, I have preached probably those two combined at least a dozen sermons. So uh, for right now, I'm going to say all I'm going to say about those two. And, uh, but any other psalm that might be your favorite, um, if you'll let me know, uh, I would love to, uh, to preach from it. But this morning, we want to visit core value number five. And core value number five is simply this, that growing people change. That growing people change. And remember what our, our mission statement as a church is. We exist to glorify God by making mature those who believe. And so really, if you were to take the previous four core values, because what we've said about our core values is that uh, these these core values are expressions of what maturity looks like. And really what we could say is that this fifth core value is, uh, again, if, if this is happening, if you are growing in your faith, the previous four core values are definitely going to be expressed in your life. You're, you're not going to do life alone. You're going to be plugged in uh, to a local uh, community of believers doing life with them uh, inside of a group called the church. Uh, you will uh, be an extravagant giver of all of your resources, whether that's your, that's whether that's your, uh, your time, your talent, or your treasure, and, and because you know that no matter how much you give, you can never outgive God. And it's not about trying to give back to God because God hasn't asked it. He has not asked us to give Him anything except the glory and the gratitude that He deserves for what He has given to us. And so when we give, whether it's financially or we give, whether it's physically or uh, in whatever way we give, uh, we are giving as an expression of gratitude and thanks to God for all that He's given us. And then we also said that saved people served. And if you're growing in your faith, 
the, the natural outworking of that is you're going to serve people. I mean, you're, nobody's going to have to twist your arm. There's not going to have to be a special ser, uh, sermon uh, to get people to volunteer uh, for um, duties within the church and needs within the church. And as a matter of fact, while I'm on that subject, let me bring up a, a need that we have. Uh, God is, uh, over the last uh, three or four months, has really just continued to bless our church, and in particular, blessed our church with uh, families that have children. And so the nursery is always uh, a, a source of need within our congregation and having everybody to, uh, whether you have children or not, if you're part of this uh, family of faith and you, and you are physically able to, uh, to help out in the nursery or to help out with our, our children uh, five years old and, and younger, we, we need your help. And the more people that volunteer, guess what? The less people have to serve. But when we have few, few volunteers, that means those few have to pull uh, double, triple, and quadruple duty in the course of each quarter. And so uh, Jeannie McElroy is to my right and most of your left. Um, she schedules all of our nursery workers uh, for Sunday and children's workers. And so if you're not on that list, see Jeannie after church and say, hey, uh, I'm willing to serve. Uh, put me down. We're going to soon have a way that you're going to be able to indicate that on a calendar right from your phone. we got this cool app that we hope to roll out on July, uh, the first Sunday in July to where uh, you can let people in ministry areas know, hey, I'd like to serve. This is how often I can serve. You can you know, say, hey, I can serve this Sunday, but I can't serve these Sundays. So, uh, but right now, the way we do it is you just see Jenny and say, hey, Jenny, uh, I want to help out. I want to be a part of loving uh, on the kids that God brings to our church each and every week because um, the, the nursery is probably the, and, and, and working with children sometimes is the most unappreciated ministry within the church, and yet it is probably, if not more needful than even what I do on Sunday morning. Uh, it is definitely definitely not less than what I do, and so we're always in need of help. In, in need of help there. And then lastly, if you're growing in your faith, you are sharing your faith. That's, again, it's just a natural outflow because it's just like anything in life. Anytime you have some great experience in your life, uh, you find a new app, you find a new gadget, you find, you know, you get a new toy. Like yesterday, uh, you know, we, I spent about seven hours playing with a new grill that we got uh, at the house, almost slap blew it up at one point. Thought I had going to have to go to the hospital with third degree burns on my arm, but we got it figured out after about seven hours of you know tinkering around on it. But you you know you get stuff like that, and you want to tell people about yeah I got this or I learned this or whatever it is. And typically in our life, whatever we're excited about and whatever's most meaningful to us, you don't really have to twist our arm or coax the information out of us, it just comes flowing out of us. And that's what happens when you're really growing in your faith is that you're just talking about Jesus and most of the time you don't even realize you're talking about Jesus. Why? Just because that's what you talk about. And if you don't, and, and if that's not happening, can you think back to those early days of your faith when you first got saved 
and you were just so in love with Christ, and you were so fired up about being a Christian, and you were so fired up that Christ had died for you, and that that had become a realization, and that your sins were forgiven. Do you remember that time? I mean, did, did, did anybody have to tell you, hey, you, you should probably go tell somebody about that. No, you just, anybody and everybody you came in contact with, you were telling them about what had happened to you. And so, this morning, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to do a grave injustice to, uh, to, to what I would like to do. Uh, this is just going to be kind of about as plain and vanilla a sermon as you can get. But here's what I am doing. Um, if, you go to a, if you go to the church website, it's real easy to remember, eurekabaptistchurch.com. Okay, this is going to be crucial to this sermon. I, I, I debated about this. I almost said, you know what? I'm going to shelve this sermon to after summer and revisit it because what I really need to do is preach about 11 sermons off of this. Well, I can't do that. So uh, I'm going to do something I've never done before, and that is on our church website, if you go to eurekabaptistchurch.com, there's tabs there. It says maturity. If you click on that maturity tab, three little tabs will pop up, and one of them says the word grow. And if you click on grow, it's going to take you to uh, well, it, a screen will come up, and there's going to be 11 sermons already there for you to listen to. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this to you. They're not, they're not 11 sermons that I preached, but they are 11 sermons that I listened to almost 20 years ago now. It was a series of sermons. This was pre-podcast. Um, this was back in the days where you still had to either get it on tape or CD. And so uh, I ran across this series of sermons, and I, I frequent them often. Uh, probably once a year, I'll go back through and listen to it. But it's probably the best sermon series that I've ever heard preached on how we are, uh, how growing people change. And so I just invite you to go there. Um, you'll want to listen to them more than once, and you'll want to listen to them slow because it is rich, it is meaty, um, it will. Uh, put a mirror up in front of your face and make you examine your life in ways that you've never uh, uh, examined it before. But let me say this, it is also going to help you to identify some of those sticking points in your spiritual growth that you always wondered, why could I never get over that hurdle in my spiritual walk with the Lord? Like, why am I still so angry? I thought I wouldn't be as angry. Why don't I have as much joy as I thought I would have? Why, why don't I have more self-control? Why, uh, why is there not more peace in my life? And so uh, these sermons will help you to work through that and, and, and help you to see how spiritual growth and change really does happen in our life. So let me do the introduction to those 11 sermons by preaching to you from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. So will you either watch the screen or look on your device or your Bible with me? This is Paul writing. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Why? To keep you from doing what you want to do. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of, ang- fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things and really, let, let me just say something here. When you see that, those who do such things will not enter the kingdom of God. I've had people just totally have a meltdown there. And like, I do some of these, these works of the flesh, so does that mean I'm not going to heaven? And really, that the idea there is those who do such things are those who practice such things. Those who make that a way of life. Not those who fall into those periodically, but it's those who make a practice of living that way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, watch, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So to experience spiritual growth... That's to say to have a lasting, deep, radical, permanent change. There's really three truths that we've got to understand, okay? These are big headings, okay? We're not down in the weeds. These are just big headings. Number one is we've got to understand the nature of spiritual growth. What is the nature of spiritual growth? Well, Paul uses here the metaphor of what? Fruit. Right? He says the fruit of the Spirit. And so then what he does is he shows us how fruit is demonstrated in these nine characteristics. And so this metaphor of spiritual growth of fruit really helps us. You know, the question we should ask is, out of all of the metaphors that Paul could have used to describe spiritual growth, why does Paul use the language Uh, Why does he use the word fruit? Why does he enter into what uh, people call the botanical language of the Scripture? Well, look at a couple of verses that are going to come on the screen. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again... Now, here's, here's a little insight about salvation. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You see, there is, a, there is a constant theme that runs throughout the Bible. And it doesn't matter if Paul's writing or if John's writing or if Peter's writing or if Jesus is speaking himself. This, this, uh, uh, this common thread, this common language of botany uh, runs throughout the Bible. And this, even more so, this word seed is, is just everywhere uh, we turn when spiritual growth is being talked about. So we see that we've been born again. Why? Because there was this seed. And if you want to study more about this, you can see Matthew chapter 13. It's a whole chapter on on about the, the seed of the gospel going into us. But we're saved when the seed of the gospel, that's the metaphor, goes into us. And then it begins to grow and it produces salvation. But not only does it produce salvation, this seed, but it continues to grow and the effects of that salvation uh, are seen in our lives. But we also see in, back in the Old Testament, this same verbiage was used in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. The psalmist says, He is like a 
tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. So again, we see this language of spiritual growth being represented by fruit. And then you've got John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, and this is Jesus talking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I take away. He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, interesting about the word about pruning. Did anybody in here ever dealt with grapevines or scuffinine vines or muscadine vines? Like, muscadines and scuffinines are the bomb. I mean, they, they are the best. Uh, jellies and every, all the other stuff that you can make out of uh, these super fruits. But one of the things that you learn about uh, my, my great-grandparents had both muscadine and scuffinine vines where they lived in Cleburne County. And, uh, and, and I vaguely remember uh, uh, one time that uh, Pa, that's what I call my great-grandfather, I remember one time he was clipping back uh, on the branches of the scuffinine vine. And I said, Pa, I said, why are you, why are you cutting the branch off? Like, that's where the scuffinines come from. And he's like, well, he said, son, he said, you got to realize something is that every now and then you've got to prune the branch so that that branch will grow back and it will bear even more fruit than it did before. We don't touch the vine because the vine is the source, but we prune the branch. And, and, so, and in our life, as we grow spiritually, and this is just me throwing this in as a bonus, Sometimes when you really begin to grow in your faith and when you really begin to dig in uh, 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 and really begin to live out your faith, how many of you know that sometimes life all of a sudden takes a turn for the worse? Hmm? Yeah? And, and then you got all these questions. It's like, why am I even doing this? Like, my life is not getting any better. As a matter of fact, if anything, my life has just got increasingly difficult when I'm really trying to do what's right. Well, listen, if you're going to grow, you're going to have to go through difficulty. You, you, cannot, you, you, cannot, you cannot build anything without difficulty. The human body cannot build muscle uh, apart from resistance training, apart from tearing and breaking down muscle fibers in order for muscles to grow. You have to tear it down to build it up. Listen, and when you and I really begin to grow in our faith, guess what happens? We are going to in encounter these difficult moments in our life, but they're, they're not there to tear our faith down. They're there to test our faith and build our faith up. Any of you ever wondered why Job's uh, trial was so difficult? I mean, like, Job got a raw deal, didn't he? I mean, good graces. I mean, in a span of two days, you lose all of your wealth, and you lose... How many children did he lose? Ten kids. I've watched how the loss of one child will send a mom and a dad over the precipice. I can't imagine ten in one day.
And who was right in the middle of all that? And you say, well, it was the devil. Yeah, but who was right in the middle of all that? <laughs> who did the devil have to get permission from before he could lay a hand on Job? From the Lord. And then if, if losing your kids and your wealth is not enough, how about losing your health? How about your body covered in sores? To the point where you're, you're out sitting on a trash dump with a, with a, a, a piece of a pottery scraping off the sores. And why did Job end up where he ended up? Did he sin? Did he do something terrible? Did he curse God? Had he, did he, you know, cheat on his wife? I mean, was he abusive to his children? I mean, surely to goodness he had to do something terrible to go through such a terrible... No, the Bible says right off the bat in Job chapter 1 in the opening verses that there was not another man like Job. He was blameless in all the earth. Job was a blameless man, but he still needed to grow spiritually. And the way that you grow spiritually is God puts you through testing. He, he puts, he puts the, the pruning shears to you. Why? Because He's going to bring stuff out of you that you could have never imagined that could come out of you. Not bad stuff, good stuff. He's going to take you places that you wanted to go, but you'd always tried to get there, but your pathway always seemed to end in a dead end. And when Job gets to the end of the book, 42 chapters later, this is a man, there was none like him in the earth, he was blameless, and he gets to the end of the book and he said, Lord, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. What's he saying? Lord, I just thought I, I, just thought I was spiritually mature. Now I see you more for who you are. And so, spiritual growth is going to be a difficult journey. I don't want you to think that somehow, some way, that this is going to be some kumbaya, my Lord, set around the campfire, everything's great, and gravy, and this is going to be a piece of cake, and this is going to be easy, and this is going to feel good all the time. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt like heck. And it's going to, and it's going to test uh, the resolve to whether you're going to keep on keeping on. Why? Because you're going to say, you know what? If this is what, if this is what Christianity is all about, if this is what walking with Jesus is all about, then I'm out. But let me ask you this question. If I told you that at the end of that journey, if you would but endure the hardship like a good soldier... And at the end of that was joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control would all be the byproduct of enduring that. How many of you would say, you know what, I can go through that. I can go through that. Why? Because that's really what I want. In all these... It, it, you're, you're, you're trying to get at it in, 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 in nine different ways. And the Bible says, here's the way that all of this comes at one time. It comes together. And it happens through this process called spiritual growth. But let me, let me, let me set some expectations here, okay? <laughs> the, one of the reasons why the Bible uses... Uh, 
this language of uh, fruit, it's also to remind us that spiritual growth is slow. <laughs> Amen? Anybody in here feel like it's almost tortoise-like slow? Hmm? Some of y'all feel like one step forward, two steps back. Like that's, that's the story of your spiritual journey. One step forward, two steps back. Every now and then you get two steps forward, and then it's just two steps back. But it's never two steps forward, one step back. Is that the way it feels? I think if we're all honest, absolutely it's the way it feels. Spiritual growth is slow. You don't always experience immediate change. You don't always see it overnight. So listen, be patient. Be patient. But listen, that's not an excuse to sin. It's an explanation of why your spiritual growth is what it is. Because the Bible is telling us in this language of fruit that it's slow. But it also, in this language of fruit, tells us that spiritual growth is seasonal. It's seasonal. I mean, we used to have, I wish we still had it. We had to cut it down because it died. We had two great plum trees at the end of the parking lot here. I mean, it was awesome, you know, in the summertime uh, to be able to pull in in the morning, walk out to the tree, grab a couple of plums, bring them in. I mean, big, fat, juicy plums. But I'll tell you what, in the wintertime, that tree looked like it needed to be cut down. It looked terrible. It just uh, looked like an old, ruddy, dead tree. But come spring, when the sap started moving, I guess, or the nutrients started flowing, or whatever it is that's inside a plum tree that makes plums sprout out, they would be these big, beautiful plums that that tree would produce. You see, spiritual growth is going to be seasonal. There's going to be times in your life where spiritual, it's going to seem like spiritual fruit is just growing by the handfuls. And there's going to be other times in your life where there's going to be these winter times of your life where it's almost going to seem like you're really not growing spiritually. But can I tell you something? That tree, though it looked dead in the wintertime, it wasn't dead. It was still very much alive. It was getting itself ready for the following season of growth. And so, so, so I just want to encourage you this morning, even in times and in moments of your life where you're praying and reading your Bible and you're trying to walk in the Spirit and you're trying to be faithful to the Lord and it doesn't seem like you're making any kind of headway in your spiritual life, I want to tell you something. That is often when God is working at His deepest level in your life. And then when the fruit starts to bear, the fruit only bears it because what, had, what was being done leading up to that moment. Spiritual growth is never really something we feel. So y'all get away from your feelings like, I don't feel very spiritual right. Who does? I mean, like, who wakes up feeling spiritual? Did anybody this morning wake up feeling spiritual? Anybody wake up this morning singing praise songs? Did anybody wake up this morning, morning quoting Scripture? 
Did anybody come up out of their sleep saying, Hallelujah, praise the Lord? Nobody? So I guess y'all didn't feel very spiritual this morning when you woke up. I mean, look, you can't base, am I growing spiritually on how I feel? You base it on what can be measured and what can be tested. What can be measured and what can be tested. Ask your friends. Am I growing spiritually? Wait for the next test to come into your life and see how you respond to it. That'll be a good indication. Am I growing spiritually? But we don't gauge whether we're growing spiritually or not based on how we feel. Second thing about spiritual growth is simply this it's slow, it's seasonal. It's invisible at times. But here's, here's what it, uh, it is. It's inescapable. It's inescapable. Spiritual growth is inescapable. What do I mean by that? What I, what I simply mean by that is exactly what I just quoted to you uh, uh, in the text today. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. You will bear fruit. There's a story that G. Campbell Campbell Morgan tells. He's he's an old pastor from from way back when. And he said that he was out visiting this graveyard one time. Uh, He was doing a funeral, and he was walking through the graveyard. And he said that he came across this massive slab of concrete uh, 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 close to this grave. In this graveyard, it was a some kind of monument, a memorial that they had a, that they had put up in the graveyard. But he said it was this huge piece of you know. He said it must have weighed you know hundreds, maybe over a thousand pounds of concrete. And he said what caught his eye was the fact that there was a tree growing right through the middle of it, an oak, just growing right through the middle of the concrete. And he got to looking at it, and he said it was like. In that moment, the Holy Spirit just spoke to him, and he said, look, if I could create a a seed that can be buried under a thousand pounds of concrete, and it is powerful enough and strong enough to bust concrete in half and grow a tree through the middle of it, how much more powerful is the seed of the gospel in your life? And if the seed of the gospel is in our life, if we are truly Christians, spiritual growth is inescapable. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. When God's Spirit dwells in us, guess what? You you are going to be a more peaceful person. You're going to worry less. You're going to become more patient. You're going to become a more loving person. You're going to become everything that Paul just said in Galatians chapter 5. That will be who you will become more and more. You'll change. It'll be slow, but you'll change. It'll be seasonal, but you'll change. You will change. 
But we also, need, not only do we need to see the nature of spiritual change, but we need to see the pattern of spiritual change. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, because this is really what those sermons are for that I'm encouraging you to go and listen to. The pattern of spiritual change. Spiritual growth starts on the inside. It's internal. It's not external. It's internal. And it's organic rather than mechanical. It's an organic growth rather than mechanical. Like if you want to grow a fire, how do you, how do you grow a fire? You, you put more wood on it. This is not what we're talking about. This is organic. This is something, again, that's going to occur. and This is something that's going to happen in you naturally. Why? Because, again, the seed of the gospel is in your life. You can't will your way into this. This is a work of the Spirit. Now, I want to read a couple of verses to you this morning because I do want you to see something about spiritual growth that, that's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Y'all know this as the wedding chapter, but really, this, this passage probably should never be read at weddings because it's, really it's really not a wedding chapter. Listen to it. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noising, noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not loved, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends as far as prophecies. They will pass away as for tongues. They will cease as for knowledge. It will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But, we, but when the perfect comes, the partial will, will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know what Paul's really saying in this passage? And it's right at the outset of the text. He's, he, he is saying that your life, this is the way you dis, de, determine whether you've got spiritual growth really going on. You don't determine it by the external. You don't determine it by, are other people being helped by my life? Like, you know, people I'm teaching in Sunday school, are they helped? Uh, is my Bible study helping other people? Is my just you know one-on-one meeting with people helping people, or just talking to people helping people? You see what what Paul is really trying to drive home here, because you got to remember where First Corinthians thirteen is. It's sandwiched in in between 
1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which both of those chapters talk about spiritual gifts. And here's what Paul is saying in chapter 13, is that your life could be used to change other people's lives, but if your life is not being changed, you're not growing spiritually. See, See, if I'm helping somebody else and their life is being changed, that's the fruit of the Spirit in their life. The question is, is what I'm telling other people, has it changed my life? And if it's not, then guess what? I'm in a very serious position. What's that position? That position is, is my faith real or not? Because you can be used by God to change other people's lives and your own life not be changed. Matthew 7 says, there'll be people on that day that'll say, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. This chapter says, there's going to be people that are going to do all kind of great stuff, but they did not have love. And guess what it says? It's nothing. It's nothing. So the question of spiritual growth is not, not are other people's lives being changed by my life, but is my life being changed? Lastly this morning is we need to see the process of spiritual growth. The process. The process is easy. It's symmetrical. You know, hopefully you know what that word means. If not, it just simply means that everything's growing up together. It has symmetry to it. Paul uses a uh, single, uh, a, a, uh, a singular subject, fruit, not a plural, singular, but he uses a plural predicate. That's not good English, but like I told the group Wednesday, Wednesday night, it makes for good theology. Because you see, it's fruit of the Spirit, but though there are nine expressions of that fruit, all of that fruit, like you can't focus... Listen, if you'll go listen to the sermons that I'm encouraging you to listen to, something that you'll learn is, is that love will not grow on its own without self-control. And self-control will not grow without love. And patience doesn't grow without kindness. And kindness doesn't grow without patience. Or kindness doesn't grow without love. Or love grow without pace, uh, kindness. Why? Because they are all connected together, and when one grows, they all grow symmetrically. You cannot say, I am a person of peace, and yet not love. And you cannot say, I'm a person of love, and have no peace. And you can't say, you know what, I've got peace, but no self-control. It doesn't work that way. They grow up symmetrically, together. And when one grows, they all grow. And again, that's the part of this sermon where we need to drill down for 11 weeks. But we're not, and so I'm just going to encourage you to to do what I've already encouraged you to do. So how are we going to develop? Okay, I've got to give you a little something to leave on today, a little application. So how are we going to develop the fruit of the Spirit? Well, Paul told us. You've got to kill something, Right? What is that? He says you've got to crucify the flesh. You've got to crucify the flesh. And you say, how do you, what? 
Okay, Brother Jason, I hear that, but what does that mean? You, you, you won't kind of just like, I mean, I can't make it any more, more elementary than this. To kill the flesh simply means that you choose God's way over your way. That's how you kill it. You read the Bible, it says forgive, you forgive. No questions asked. You don't debate God, argue with God. Well, Lord, you don't really know what they did to me. You just forgive. That's how you kill the flesh. Why? Because the flesh, which is sin that still remains in you, though it doesn't reign over you, it, it will say, no, don't forgive that person. But here's what. If you're going to kill the flesh, you're going to crucify it. Then what you do is you choose obedience. And in obedience, what you're doing is you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You're crucifying the flesh. You're killing the flesh. But he not only says that you got to kill the flesh, but if you, if you notice back up in verse 17, what does he say? He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But in verse 25, he says, Let us keep walking in the Spirit. So you got to kill the flesh... Why? Because it's opposed to what? To walking in the Spirit. Keep walking in the Spirit. How do, you, how do you keep walking in the Spirit? Well, with the Holy Spirit's help, you keep choosing obedience over disobedience. And when you and I choose to walk in the Spirit, and we choose to kill the flesh, guess what begins to happen? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control all began to grow up and manifest themselves in our lives simultaneously. Now, I said all of that very quickly and um, made it sound a lot easier than it is. You need to listen to those 11 sermons. Why? Because you need to know how difficult what I just said simply really is. But if you're going to start, that's how the Bible tells us that we do it. But I am going to give you something to, to walk out this door with that can get you started in the right direction, even if you don't listen to those 11 sermons. Are you ready? Ready? 